Howdy everybody, this is David Sanchez and you are listening to episode 10 of the Riffs or Die podcast for December 1st, 2020. December! Can you believe it's December? Holy shit. Time is marching on mercilessly and it seems to be accelerating, especially this year. We've been year jacked. You know, like people get carjacked, we got year jacked. Last year, I was always joking that 2020 was the year of hindsight. Well, I reckon we're going to have a lot of new perspective <laughs> after this year is over. I hope that everybody had a good Thanksgiving or a lovely Thursday evening, depending on where you are in the world. Don't forget to check out the website, riffsordie.com, and peep the new shirts that are in there. There's currently a discount going on in the web store, so get in there quick if you're hearing this on Tuesday. As always, if you want some bonus episodes, access to handwritten lyrics, live Zoom hangouts, and discounts in the web store, go to patreon.com slash riffsordie and sign up as a member. For those of you who are already signed up, thank you very much for your patronage and support of this show. I've got a very special guest for you guys on this episode. I'm super glad that I was able to get him on here. This is a man that I've had the pleasure of touring with, and every time backstage or before or after shows, anytime we got to hang out and talk about stuff, I always enjoyed our conversations. He's a really cool guy, super smart, and he's a very busy man. So I'm very grateful to have his attention and time that we could share with you guys. My guest for this episode is Mr. Derek Green, the singer of Sepultura. Their new record came out in February. It's called Quadra, and it is sick. If you haven't heard the new Sepultura record, I strongly suggest you go and check it out. It's super killer. The production is awesome, and there are some really, really excellent pieces of music on there. Derek's vocals are probably the best I've ever heard them, and the band just sounds strong as ever. Derek has a new TV show that's going to be coming out sometime soon. We get into that in this talk as well, and roll off of the beaten path into some other places. So, without further ado, please enjoy my interview with Mr. Derek Green. Ladies and gentlemen, I have Mr. Derek Green from the Mighty Sepultura on the Riffs or Die podcast. Sir Derek, how are you doing? I'm doing quite well, despite the circumstances that this world is in, but I'm feeling very good. I find myself uh, preempting a lot of emails with, I hope you're doing well, despite the obvious. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's. It's become mandatory that you have to say things like that, but um, or feel inclined to say these things. But it's it's true. It's a reality that we're all we're all in. So yeah, it's a mad world. I I think um, both of our bands have had a lot of lyrics that are ultra relevant to what's going on in the world today. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, a lot of times of just writing lyrics they dealing with a lot of social issues that are happening surrounding us and, and things that we you know on the road that we encounter and so um i think a lot of the times it 
try to keep those lyrics as relevant as possible. Yeah, and I think in a lot of ways, um, there's a lot of songs, a lot of art in general that seems to be prophetic. Unfortunately, a lot of things that I'm yelling and screaming about in Havoc songs is all like coming true and it's becoming reality. Mm-hmm. Now, you guys just put out a new record in February called Quadra. Yes. And it's super killer. I've listened to it a handful of times and I listened to it again last night just to to re-up on it before I talk to you. But um, on the record, the, the guitars are insane. Andreas is doing some really crazy shit. The drums are great. Your vocals are super killer. There's a lot of really awesome, like, haunting melodies on the record. And I wanted to ask you about that. Like, some of your vocal influences, who, mm-hmm. are, who are some people that you look up to as a vocalist? Uh, there's quite a few, actually. You know, when it comes to different styles, you know, there's a, a few that I've always liked. You know, it's constantly changing depending on the mood that I'm in, but um, there's definitely like uh, people like Mike Patton. Yes. You know, that I, I really admire his vocal style because he's, he has such a variety, a range that's really incredible i was always a big fan of rob halford because of that range as well you know (laughs) his ability uh is just like insane i'm a big nina simone fan because she has such a unique voice and there's so much character behind everything that she's doing and everything that she's that she's actually done um it really stands out i'm a big nick cave and the bad seeds fan nick cave i've always been a fan of his from the very beginning or where he started with like the birthday party and then onwards just because the tone in his voice, it may not be metal or hardcore or anything like that, but it's something about the presence that it has. And this is something that always sticks out in my mind of vocalists that I admire. Robert Plant is another one as well. But a lot of times, you know, these influences are there and, I, I like to look sometimes look back or listen to certain things I've done in the past and and just kind of erase that going into a, a recording process, you know, just really focus on the moment. And that's what I was really doing with Quadro is really working on what I, you know, I accumulate a lot of knowledge from doing so many albums and becoming comfortable in, in my voice and everything. And so when it came to Quadro, I, I really felt that I wanted to try a lot of different things. I wanted to really push myself um, in ways I've never done before with Sepultura or in general with music. And I think everyone had that same feeling. Andreas as well, you know, with guitar, you can hear a lot of the solos and everything that are very insane. You know, they're really, really, I feel very connected to the music and very emotional and just really putting ourselves out there. So that was something that really wanted to challenge, you know, really go for certain parts of screaming or singing and just really not hold back. Yeah. I can, I can really hear it on the record that you got a little outside of your comfort zone, but it seems like a place that you (laughs) became very confident because it doesn't sound like, um, even though I'm familiar and I know that it's not your norm for some of the vocal parts on the record, it seems like you're completely, sure-footed and where you're stepping 
in all these new territories. So oh, yeah. you, you did a killer job with, um, thank you. You know, do doing something that's, that's outside of your norm. I, I think a lot of that had to do with, you know, the situation of writing this album was a little different from the past. Um, I was in LA and everyone was in Brazil. So we had a lot of time to really work on this last album. We set time aside to take our time to work on the album. In 2019, we decided not to do as many tours and to really focus on the album. So I think that had a tremendous difference in what we're hearing on the album. And it also gave me time to let things settle in my head. It's like vocally, like, does that sound good to me? And, and like, okay, I'm going to let it, I'm able to sleep on it and let it pass by for a few weeks. Like, ah, I, I don't like that. I want to change it up. Really having that time, I think, helped so much. And doing, and when we went to do the demo before going into the studio, you know, we were well prepared. I, I think that was the one thing that really helped in the recording process because we had everything mapped out, what we were going to do in the demo. And uh, we didn't really change that much when it went into the album writing process as far as the recording process i'm sorry and so uh i mean just that preparation and having that time really helped feel comfortable you know even stepping outside the box yeah and having that time to absorb your own material and sleep on it and have weeks at a time to do that is a luxury that you normally do not (laughs) have on a record absolutely i mean it's a mix for such a big difference, you know? Yeah. And huge. You know that, right? Yeah. The, there's often times where after a records come out and we've been playing it live, I realize like something clicks like, Oh shit, I should have sang this this way. <laughs> and, and, you know, maybe I would have realized that if I would have had the time, like you're talking about. So right, right. on the record, sorry, go ahead. Do you feel that you can, I mean, come to these ideas and then you can do them. I guess live, you know, where it doesn't sound exactly like the album for sure, but you know, which is a, a which is pretty cool too. I think. Yeah, creating a live experience that's different than the right. record is always great. If people yes. want to listen to the album, they can always go back and do that. But live right. is a different situation yeah. in every it is way. That moment, yeah. right? Right. There's a lot of um, really cool symphonic stuff on the record a lot of orchestral stuff and just other instruments that are not played by the four guys in the band. Um, Did you guys have a lot of that stuff already done in the pre-production before you went into studio or did a lot of that come after things were tracked? Okay. Uh, A lot of it came during and after. Uh, I, I mean, we had a lot of like, we were working on the album in the studio in Sweden with Jens Bogren. And we had worked with him before on our previous album, Machine Messiah. And so we felt really comfortable with Jens, and he's always coming with great ideas as far as orchestra, uh, choirs. We also have a friend in Brazil that worked with us on Machine Messiah doing a lot of the keyboard sounds and crazy sounds that you're hearing. Sanuto is his last name, and he was able to really come along with us for many albums, actually a, a few albums. Alex was another album that he did a lot of sounds and background sounds. And so a lot of this stuff happens while we're in the studio and 
especially with Jens, like once he has the demo and we get to, like we arrived in Sweden, we're working on the album, he's, he, we're able to talk to him face to face and he's able to give his uh, opinions of what he feels should be on certain tracks and, and certain ideas that he has. He almost becomes a member of the band. And so what he was hearing was a lot of uh, choirs and things in certain parts. And he had that connection in Sweden, being able to go to the church, a local church, knowing that there's a choir there and giving them the ideas from the album to, to sing on. We had to really work all that out before he went to the actual choir. We had to come up with uh, ideas that were the actual melody of what the choir would sing and actually what they would sing. Sure. Because we wanted them to sing in, in Latin because it sounded very powerful. So we had to look up certain terms that made sense with the lyrics and and kind of do like a demo of that, of what the choir was to sing. And so I, I did that. Cool. With the ends, <laughs> which was hysterical. I mean, I hope we have a recording of, of that. Just me doing that would be very funny to hear. And then he would take that idea and go to the choir where they could do it, you know, very well, you know, professionally and in tune and everything. <laughs> so um, that was, you know, that was incredible to hear after, you know, like everything is done and laid on top. And it's just like, wow, you know, like I, I the vision that he has of, of the music was, it was phenomenal. So that's something that's really incredible that happens in the experiences that we've had working with really good producers of hearing things that we never imagined would happen on the album, kind of having an idea that something could go there, but never really a hundred percent sure. But it always ended up in the right direction, uh, giving our trust to Jens. We had Tunisian group on the last album, uh, strings doing certain parts and, and things like that. So just, Incorporating a lot of these ideas happened during the writing pro- or actual recording process. Yeah, and he's worked with a lot of those bands that have symphonies playing yeah. on their recordings. So, uh, yeah, he seemed like a good dude to go to for that kind of stuff. And he really wants to have like the actual choir and, and real instruments, you know. It's yeah. really important. You know, that's, we felt that's something that we always wanted to have as well. It sounds amazing it's really really epic that that's the yeah, right. perfect word for it it's epic when you're listening to the record and uh you get to that symphonic in some of those areas it's it's very very cool it's uh kind of shocking actually to right. hear sepultura with like a fucking orchestra and a big choir <laughs> behind it it's awesome yeah I mean, I look forward to when we're able to do that live. I mean, that's going to be something very special. I oh, feel. yeah, absolutely. If you guys ever do pull that off live, I would love to see it. <laughs> no doubt. I'm sure a lot of people listening to this who follow you will have noticed this, but you're working on a TV show with um, another buddy of mine, Tanya O'Callaghan, who's an amazing bass player. And it's called Highway to Health. Highway to health. <laughs> bon Scott would be proud. Yes. Except there's oh, maybe man. maybe not enough whiskey drinking on the, on the show or something. <laughs> well, I mean, I'll leave that to, 
to a crew or <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it would have been me uh, pre-pandemic. It, but um, the show itself is is it came from being plant based, uh, living that type of lifestyle I have for what's it's about twenty something, twenty seven years or so. I haven't eaten meat or anything like that, and so just I, I felt it was interesting watching all these different travel shows like food shows and a lot of these shows i kept watching i i would never eat any of the stuff that they were showing i enjoyed the fact that they were showing the culture of the food and everything like that but it was very extravagant very exotic and i thought a lot of it was very unnecessary for the typical traveler and so i wanted to see a show that's geared around the plant-based lifestyle and uh, because I felt a lot of people had many questions about it. There were many people that always come up to me and they couldn't believe that I was a vegan. They couldn't believe I didn't eat meat. And they had a million questions. And I really wanted to have a show that would answer a lot of those questions, you know, or, or those curious people that are thinking about maybe changing up their, their lifestyle or their diet. And, and there were a lot of questions I had as myself because I'm still learning so much about a lot of change that's necessary in order to keep this planet going. So with this idea in mind, I was, I met up with Tanya and she had the same idea of creating a show that's tackling all these different issues. And so we wanted to really showcase all these different places that we've gone to, or we heard about from traveling on the road. It's connected to music. You know, I wouldn't have, gotten the understanding of the transformation that's been happening in the in, in the past few years uh, where it's growing tremendously this type of lifestyle so we're really excited to show this interviewing different musicians and artists and chefs and doctors and athletes and just really opens up a lot for us to to challenge ourselves to really journey out and, and try to to get as many relevant interviews that are that we could and so we we've been working on this for the past two years now and uh, right before the whole pandemic happened we were able to record enough for first season uh eight episodes sweet so yeah <laughs> we were very 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 lucky to do that yeah before all these places got shut down yeah, I know. Or doing carry out only. Yeah, exactly. And and so during the whole pandemic, we, we've been editing and working on it and refining it. And now we're in the process of having it sold. So it's being shopped as we speak. And we'll see what happens. You know, we're trying to get it on the network where it's, everyone can see it around the world. And uh, we've already worked out ideas for the second season. And it's all going very, very well. So I'm, I'm very excited. I, I'm looking forward to having more guests and go to more locations. And I believe we'll be able to do that um, next year, you know. And also, what's really good about it is that you can, we're going to be able to follow a lot of stuff that's going on musically with my band and what's happening with Tanya as well. That was the whole idea behind the show, to, sh- to really give people a view of what's happening behind stage backstage how we survive being plant-based or who are some other people and and on our show we don't really want to have 
only vegans on the show or only plant-based people on the show. We want to have a variety of people and get their true ideas because we're not, you know, we don't want to like preach to the choir. You know, we want to really show it to people who aren't maybe in that lifestyle that don't know anything about it. I think that's very wise. Right, right. And and we don't want to push people, like really force people. It's not about that. It's about people making their own choices. You know, we just really want to put, you know, what is out there, you know, and make people think about, hey, where are you putting your money? Do you want to support this type, this company? Do you want to put this in your body? Do you want to maybe change up one day in a week? You know, that actually helps tremendously. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. I, I think it's a really cool idea for a show, especially with the crossover into the rock and roll world. But um, like you were saying, you see all these travel shows and I've never seen any of them have a motif around veganism or vegetarianism or any of that. It's all, uh, you know, street food and uh, a lot of it's relatively unhealthy. I do love the cultural (laughs) aspect like you were talking about. Right. But the uh, the idea of like having a vegan show or something has never come about. And something that I often think about when it comes to veganism, and a lot of vegans will make the argument if everyone was vegan, we wouldn't have to have factory farming and, and a, a lot of things could change. I mm-hmm. think things could change if people just consumed less animal products that would make a huge impact absolutely like if people ate vegan uh even you know meat eaters if they ate vegan twice a week right like just two days a week you go vegan and boom all of a sudden that's making a gigantic difference on the worldwide industry i I agree a hundred percent i mean i think the, the i think that's a great point you know the fact that able to limit the amount because it's a massive amount that's unnecessary and a lot of it is coming from the west you know this meat consumption yes um i i think a lot of people don't really understand the ramifications of of what that industry does and plus they don't understand how everything is processed and that's something that those companies have kept from the public knowledge of knowing very well you know, they don't want people to know about that. That's why you don't hear about it. Right. Um, it's, it's because if people did know what was actually going behind what makes their typical just regular hamburger, they might think twice about buying that product. And these companies, they don't care about people. They don't care about animals. They don't care about the planet. They don't care about your health. You know, it's like the last, and I guarantee you, a majority of those people that are working these industries probably don't even eat any of this stuff that they're, you know, serving out to millions and millions of people. But um, I, I just think that the mass consumption is such a good point of what you're talking about. It's just, it's absurd, you know, and, and it's really unfortunately coming from the West, the same as like drugs, you know, where's, where's the most uh, intake of drugs, the U S where's the most intake of meat, the U S you know, all these things that are, end up being problematic because of the mass consumption, you know, of wanting to have everything all the time. Right. And I think the real danger in that lies in the rest of the world kind of looks at the U S as the example exactly. of a standard to live by. So once countries so that are right. up and coming like India and China and 
other places start catching up to us economically, they're going to start wanting to eat more and more like Americans. That's a good point that you're saying, because I, you know, I've seen the spread of that throughout, you know, the world in different places, as far as like McDonald's or these uh, fast food places, Subway or Burger King, you know, they're all over Brazil. Um, I saw that growth happen because I was living in Brazil for the past 20 years and I saw like how everything was really changing. And I was like, wow, they have really good food here in, in Brazil. They have a variety of food that you can eat. And then most of it is very healthy. And I just didn't understand how these horrible companies were able to step into Brazil and have such a huge impact. But that influence of America, is, it's, it's powerful. You know, the same of like Starbucks, you know, they have great coffee in Brazil. And I felt before Starbucks entered that whole market there, I was like, why would you ever buy from Starbucks <laughs> when you have amazing culture of coffee in Brazil that's lasted for hundreds and hundreds of years? Right. And boom, it landed. And people are just like, I just want to have that status figure of holding that cup, that Starbucks cup. You know, it makes you, you know, a different person there or that feeling, I guess, from behind it. And they're huge. They're everywhere in Brazil now. In every corner, you can find a Starbucks in major cities. And it's just fascinating how fast that grew. Yeah, it really is. For better or for worse, the whole world consumes American culture. This is where right. all the TV shows are made. This is where all the oh, yeah. movies are made. And um, yeah, practically the entire world is subjected to American culture unless they're you know way out in the boonies and you know, living in a, an igloo, right, uh, right. hunting uh, whales for blubber or something. <laughs> but, but with the exception of very, you know, small groups like that, any place that has televisions or movie theaters, they're consuming American culture. And right. uh, yeah, that is where I think the possible big danger of all of this is is uh, then we might get some insane snowball effect globally. Right. I mean, it's pretty much already happened. I mean, it, it's it's happening. Sure. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, the one thing that's like really, I think it's it's fantastic that America does have you know this great influence. I love you know this country, and I and I love the fact that um, there's so many positive things that we we do and can be doing much more to as an example. But it's it's scary how powerful, you know, that media is and, and, and as far as being able to manipulate a lot of different people and to believing in the certain ideas, especially with like food and that whole culture. It's just it's it's a snowball effect, like you were saying, and it's been happening. And you can even notice that of this processed, really horrible food being distributed around the world. You can watch like I've watched in Brazil, like people gaining like a lot of the problems that come from that as far as like weight, hypertension, diabetes, you know, from eating this really shitty food, processed food. And obviously America has had this problem and it's been happening for the past 30, 40 years. And that decline has an impact on us now, especially with COVID, because all these people are susceptible to COVID more because they have a lot of these problems due to the lifestyle, due to what they're eating. Lack of nutrition. Lack of nutrition. And for the past 30 years. So that is, of course, it's hitting America even harder than most places in the world 
because we have like such a problem with obesity, 50% of the population overweight, it's, it's just really un- ridiculous, you know, let, yeah, but we also have people starving, you know, on the street and homeless without food. Yeah. And go figure that one so, out. So it's just a, it's really that, you know, uh, something that we should be really thinking about, you know, as far as like, you know, what are we presenting to the world? What are, what is it that, that we're showing? And a lot of that has to do with personal intake, you know, just kind of having an understanding of, like I was saying before, where you're putting your money, like what, what type of things are you buying? You know, how are you, you know, there's so many different companies out there now, and there's so many different things that are happening that there are companies that have your best interests that are local. Um, you know, there's certain ways that you can spend your money and, and get products and certain things that you need that aren't destroying the planet or destroying yourself and aren't, you know, killing your neighbor. <laughs> yeah, George Carlin had a, a great line way back in the day. He said, Americans are fatally addicted to the slow death of fast food. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, it's very, very true. Yeah, and you know, you were talking about how media is so capable of manipulating people. Um, I can't help but think of that Jim Morrison quote where he said, "Who controls the media controls the mind." That mm-hmm. that phrase rings so true, especially in today's world, mm-hmm. we're often misled by the people that are supposed to be giving us the facts and the truth about the world around us. But instead of news networks, for instance giving us the news, we're basically subjected to opinion pieces about right. news. And uh, there, there's so much confusion in the world because no one's giving it to us straight. They're, they're right. giving us a slanted view and everyone seems to have their agenda. Now, one thing that I really like about the idea of your show is it's a perspective that we're not hearing. Like practically at all in mainstream media. Right. Be that on some sort of a television network or radio programs or anything like that. You tend to have to go to quote alternative media sources to find the kind of information that it sounds like you and Tanya are trying to get out. Right, right, right. And that's why, you know, it's it's almost like a game in order to get into that type of realm of where you want your program or whatever it is that you're, you're selling or you want to show to mass media, you know, it's a game that you have to play to get in there. A lot of times, you know, you have to have certain things that they need, right. you know, we have, so then, you know, we can play this type of game. I mean, of course these big companies and everything that want to put these shows out, they want to have, you know, celebrities and things like that. I, it's like, okay, we, you know, we can compromise. Of course, we're going to have celebrities, but we're going to have people that are interesting, you know, people that we know and not just some person just for value of just having them. You know, it's like people that are doing incredible things, interesting people, and, uh, and not necessarily only celebrities. We can do a mix, you know. You have to find that balance in order to really get it out to as many people as possible. I think we were able to capture that with the show. Tanya being from Ireland, I'm coming from Cleveland. She's coming from a very small village in Ireland. It's just like the dynamics are, are really good. And I think it'll be appealing to a lot of different people out there. In the trailer, I saw that you guys had Kevin Smith on there. That's pretty huge. 
Yeah, I mean, Kevin is a director that I really admire. And just hearing his story about transforming his life to a plant-based lifestyle um, because he almost died on stage from a heart attack. And the influence that his daughter had, and just hearing that whole story, I thought that would be really interesting for a lot of people to hear because, A, he was he never thought about being you know a vegan ever in his life. He's not that quote-unquote type of person. But anybody can really do these changes, and that's what I really thought was interesting to show to have him on the program to really show how you can change things in your life you know that are for the better and it doesn't have to go to the point where you're having a heart attack to make that decision you know you can do it before then (laughs) for sure and one thing that i've found is typically vegan restaurants or vegetarian vegan restaurants they have to be good to stick around if they're not good, nobody's going to be showing up other than Absolutely. solely vegan or vegetarian people. That's that's the big game changer that's been happening is the, the actual taste has been changing throughout the years where this type of plant-based food is the taste is becoming better. People are getting more involved in creating better recipes and things that are appealing to people who aren't vegan. That's what I find fascinating because... Most of the clientele that are going to these vegan restaurants aren't even vegan. That's what you guys want, though. I mean, that's what the world kind of needs. I'm shocked that there's still, in this day, there's not a fast food place that's like vegetarian everything. I think that would do really well if there was some place that sold organic vegetarian food and had a drive-thru. It doesn't exist. Where, Where is this business? Well, it, it's kind of here. I mean, in LA and, and I've seen in Australia, um, like fast food, like Veggie Grill is probably one of the biggest places out here in, in California. Yeah, Veggie Grill is great. And they're spreading, you know, they're, they're, I think their menu is getting better and better. Um, they're learning a lot. Um, and it's really appealing to a lot of people who aren't vegans. There's Lord of the Flies in Australia. It's a place... Great name. Um, that, yeah, I know. It's fantastic. The Lord of the Fries, I think it's called. <laughs> and and uh, it's a place that I people had gone there and they're like, I didn't realize this was vegan. <laughs> you hear people saying stuff like that and it's like an entirely vegan menu. Um, so I think they're, they are on the rise. You know, these type of places are going to be bigger and bigger and I'm looking forward to it, you know. That's good. I think that would save a lot of money in the long run in the healthcare department because oh, yeah. your your food <laughs> that you're putting into your body is basically medicine. You could put, you know, crap into your body, it's basically poison, or you could put good things into your body and prevent diseases from starting in the first place. Absolutely. I mean, that's the big I mean, food is medicine. I, I think, you know, a lot of people I definitely don't want to get twisted, you know, like fast food is good all every day. (laughs) It's like something that was like, even back in the day, my parents would take us to McDonald's maybe once a month, twice a month if we're lucky, you know, and it was like, it was meant to be like a treat. I I kind of feel the same way with like, there's like vegan trash food and and also a, a lot of people can get caught into that. And they're like, wow, I gained a lot of weight. It's a lot of carbs and all this. And it's not necessarily meant to be something you're eating every day. I think what's important for people to learn is how to eat properly, to eat effectively where you're getting enough minerals and vitamins and that you need in your body, where you're feeling good. 
And then you can splurge every now and then to have that burger or whatever, pizza or whatever you want and not feel so badly about it, but just not make it a routine, you know, like an everyday thing. That's when it becomes unhealthy. And I I think there is a, a balance that you can have. So I think a lot of that understanding of preparation of food and understanding more about food should be taught, you know, at a very young age in schools, you know, people need to be educated about what they're putting in their bodies. Should be some gardening classes in elementary school. Oh my God, yes. I mean, absolutely. I've always thought that and I felt that kids get so much from learning about farming, gardening, you know, it's really such an intricate part of our lives because, you know, we're eating all the time and we should, you know, be focusing on the best quality of food because it's going in our body. So, I mean, like you were saying, it would cut back a lot of costs in the medical fields with, with people taking care of their health, you know, paying. I mean, we pay so much for people who are already like heavy smokers or drinkers and eating poorly and, and just not taking care of themselves. You know, a lot of, you know, taxes and everything goes into supporting that. And there could be a big turnaround, you know, just with looking into health wise as far as like what's being consumed. Absolutely. And, you know, if in school, I mean, it seems like they don't want you to be self-reliant. There's a lot of things that they don't teach you in school that Mm -hmm. would help you in the long run in your adult life. But it seems like they don't want that to happen. I think it'd be really awesome. (laughs) Music programs, um, economics, like how to how to, uh, you know, so true. budget, how to apply yes, for a loan, yes. how to buy a house, how to buy a car, how oh to my garden. God, yes. um, yeah. They could, they could do an elective, like, you know, you have the option to do mechanic class on cars. Maybe you can learn right. how to hunt or uh, right. a right. Ca- camping I mean, class, survival class or something. That shit would be useful for the rest of your life. Way more than calculus. I, I agree a hundred percent. I mean, I would love, you know, to have, those opportunities, you know, in schools for, you know, for, for kids to have those opportunities to take classes like that are very helpful in life in general, especially when you're talking about economics, you know, that's something that's extremely important um, as far as financing, how to manage your money. And, and a lot of people are really oblivious to that, unfortunately. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, some of the credit card companies pay you to use their credit card and they're only able to do that because there's so many people out there that are massively in debt to the credit card company. Oh yeah. That's how they're able to pay (laughs) you to use their card. It's it's a horrible, horrible, horrible system. You know, it really enslaves you, you know, the debt and getting trapped into that, but they know that people will go into debt. You know, that's why they're, you know, they, they've made so much money from that, like gambling on the fact that yes, people will go into debt because they have no understanding of how to manage their money. Right. And and they also incentivize the debt by dangling um, a diploma in front of someone, you know, a degree from college, like uh, to go to school after high school nowadays is mind blowingly expensive. (laughs) Oh yeah. It's, it's absurd, absurd, absurd. Yeah. Yeah. And then the lack of also like music classes, I, I, I was saying, you know, I was fortunate to have that opportunity when I was in high school that we did have a very strong music program, but they slowly uh, left. Um, I know there's very few schools that do have that, public schools. 
Um, and it's unfortunate because you develop a lot of, even if you're not going to go into the world of music, it develops a lot of your personality, being able to understand instruments and playing as a group, playing together. It's, it's something that's very vital. You know, I, I think it's very important. Yeah, even not playing it, just having an appreciation of it because Absolutely. people don't realize how vital music is to our culture as a species on this planet right. until it were to go away. If every right. advertisement, every movie, every TV show, every cartoon, every car ride didn't yeah, have music, right. <laughs> it would be a strange, strange experience. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's no doubt about that. It's very, very, very true. You know, it's, uh, and I mean, those programs and we're, also we can throw in, you know, certain art initiatives and classes, you know, should always be taught, you know, because again, without that, it would be a very strange world without people being creative and, and stepping outside the box and coming up with ideas for all these different things that we see around us that we take for granted. Yeah, I mean, we need art. I firmly believe that art can change the world. Yeah, it's always has been. <laughs> it's yeah. been moving the world. You know, it's it's something that's been from the very beginning of time, you know, with the humankind that uh, artists is been such an intricate part of evolution of this species of human species absolutely even um you know down to like buildings that we have in these downtowns and we don't look at them as pieces of art but there right. is a marriage when an architect is designing a building you know and engineering that whole structure it's a marriage of science and art there's a lot of mathematics that goes into absolutely. it absolutely there's art into it as well. Otherwise, every building would just be a perfect square and we wouldn't care. Right. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, my sister is an artist and she is a professor at MIT. Oh, holy and, shit. And, and wow. So they, they like opened up like a whole program, you know, for her to help the students understand the art aspect of connecting with people and, and, and that influence of really getting them outside of their box because they're so subjected to create this, you know, and, and they need, they need this flow, this energy, this influence from, from art and, and a creative mind in order to build upon. And so it's important for those students. A lot of them are, they're so young, they're genius students and they're getting approached by major companies while they're in school to create certain things for these companies besides their schoolwork and their promised jobs after they get out and things like that, but they don't socialize. They don't have time to socialize with interact and real life things, you know? So they're kind of, they've grown to a, a way of being out of touch with uh, the reality of, of socializing. And so then she's really trying to, to bridge that gap. So they have this social ability and artistic ability of understanding of what's happening around them while at the same time, they're able to create certain buildings for people. You know, a person would need this in a building in order to feel comfortable. You know, a person would need this in a car design in order to feel comfortable. You have to have an understanding of humanity. And a lot of these people, these kids are, you know, they're just so, you know, locked into their work. And, and they never get to witness or to have that connection with interaction with other people as, as, like you and I do when we're on stage and after a show and traveling. Right. You know, for them, that's just like, 
unheard of. It's like unbelievable, you know, to have that connection. Well, yeah, MIT so, is a crazy, crazy oh, school. Yeah. It's really hard to get into. I think it's the hardest school in the country to get into. It's really uh, fascinating. I, I, I had time to visit her there, and I've done some talks with her on for one of her classes. Um, they were absolutely interested in what's going on with the show and creating the show. They were interested in how a band is able to survive, you know, during this COVID. So I was explaining all these different things of our sepulchre, which um, we've been doing since lockdown. And, uh, and, and having certain guests on and jamming and having a Q&A and just coming up with ideas, you know. It, it, it's, a, it's a fascinating school and, and it's unbelievable the, the resources that they have there because it's unlimited resources. You know, I'm, <laughs> it's a private school that's just got, there's no limit to the money or projects they can do. So it's cutting edge and there's still, you know, for them, there's a lot to be learned about typical everyday life of just people who are living their lives. They need to consistently be in touch with that. Yeah. And it sounds like what your sister's doing is a very beautiful service to the world because these people are going to wind up being engineers and things like that. And um, if they have some sort of a better understanding of, of an artistic vision to go along with their super smarts, that will make the world a much more beautiful place. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly it. Yeah, that marriage of art and technology is uh, right. such a wonderful thing when it happens. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just it's incredible, you know, that the things that can come out from that connection. One of the first things that comes to mind when it's we're talking about a marriage of art and innovation, technology is the Golden Gate Bridge. Oh, yeah. That bridge is very iconic and beautiful to look at, but it's also the only bridge, I think, in that whole San Francisco Bay that has never collapsed when an earthquake hit. Right, right. It's designed incredibly well, and it's nice to look at. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's just, like, magnificent. I mean, another good example of that is the Taj Mahal. Um it's the, one of the most beautiful buildings I've ever seen in my entire life. And the creation of that, the under, I mean, that around surrounding the Taj Mahal, it's just like sinking swamp, kind of. It's really, really unbelievable how this structure is able to stand the test of time in perfect position. And it hasn't sunk because there were people thinking about it. The engineers knew about a wood back then that they use as pillars underneath the Taj Mahal mm. and these wood pillars, the specific type of wood over time with water, it gets harder. It becomes, you know, stronger and stronger yeah. uh, or water. So they were like, we need to design this with this type of wood because it will never sink. I mean, they thought of all these different aspects, but yet keeping all the beauty surrounding it. And it's just that innovation. It's just something that's, it's, standing the test of time. It looks like it did, I guess, when they first built it because it's glowing, you know, vision when you see it. It's just unbelievable, like, the how well it's preserved. That's super cool. I've never been to India. I've been a lot oh. of places. I think I've been to, like, 70 countries, but India is not one of them. Yeah, that, that will definitely, uh, that was the only place I went to that I was, like, culture shocked. Like, I felt like, holy 
shit, this is, <laughs> <laughs> this is really happening, you know, like, and I was very excited about going there and I had read about it and I was really into it. But until I got off that plane, I didn't know what the hell I was thinking. You know, it's just like, wow. But I, I, I love, and I say that in a way because in a shocking way, because I, I loved it, you know, but it was just far from what I imagined in my mind and from reading things. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> like I've heard some stories. <laughs> yeah. But it's intense. Yeah. Just people on people on people. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, and, and you guys have been all over the world much more than I have. You've been in Sepultura since 97. Is that right? Yeah. 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 97, 98 around that time. Wow. So I fully joined. I did the audition in 97 and 98. I, I joined the band. Wild man. You've been in the band for a long time. Uh, yeah. Now, not necessarily to play, but just a cool place to go. Where would you say is your number one? Okay. Um, I mean, for me, India, just because every day I, I, I just couldn't get my head around what was going on because it was so out <laughs> of my <laughs> realm of being. I, I mean, it was the coolest because it was just so fascinating. Every aspect of it, you know, from sounds, colors, smells, you know, everything was just so intense. So for me, I, I think that was, you know, a feeling like, oh my God, any second I could die here. <laughs> you know, it's just like so much going on. And and it felt, you know, it made life, you know, not mundane or boring in any way. It was just sure. like, oh my God, survival. Yeah. Just survive here. <laughs> you know, yeah, it was yeah, like, yeah. you know, there's a billion people trying, you know, the same thing. It's, it, it was intense. So I would say there, um, I'm a big fan of New Zealand. And um, the Maori culture, the Maori people there are just always fascinating to me, their survival. South Africa, I always felt was like mind-blowing and such a wonderful experience of, of mix of different cultures and people there. I mean, there's still places that I, I, I really want to go. I mean, I've never been to Hong Kong. You know, oh, really? major city, you know, but I've been to China which is another place I'd love to go back. Mongolia uh, was kind of insane. But, uh, you know, places that I, you know, that get me out of my comfort zone. I'm really into that. You know, I, I really think I learned so much more when I do that about myself and about uh, whatever it is that I'm trying to learn about. Oh, yeah. When, when you get thrown into the fire and yeah. nobody speaks your language and you're yes. just, you can't even read the signs, <laughs> right? it's a big test of uh, who you are and what you're capable of. Speaking of China, there's some like Chinese national parks that look absolutely insane. Like, really, really cool, beautiful places. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but I've seen one. It's one of their national parks where there's this big canyon and there's these like gigantic tower rocks. I think I know. I, I've seen this photo, I think too. There's a few of these like incredible parks that they have going on there that I just never knew about, you know? Yeah. I mean, when people think of China, they typically think of Beijing right. and uh, the great wall of China. And I've right. been to Beijing. <laughs> we were only there for one day, but the air Oh, was yeah. the color of a sidewalk. Right. And uh, 
it just smelled like factory emissions everywhere. Yep. Yeah, that's the same Beijing that I remember seeing. Too. Yeah. It was just like, what is going And everyone in mass, a lot of people in mass, just because the pollution is just outrageous. Yeah, there's parts of that city where they they can't even see the sunset. So they show you what? a video of the sunset on a big like LED billboard. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's depressing in, in, in that aspect, big time. It's completely then, insane. It's insane. You know, I, I think that's one thing that I, I really feel that we are so lucky that we're able to travel and to see for ourselves firsthand how what's going on in the world and realize that it's not everything is happening here. You know, or at least like, man, you know, there's so, there's a lot of things happening around the world. A lot of people actually suffering around the world. Like I feel very lucky. Like I moved back to the U S uh, maybe a few years ago. Cause I was living in Brazil for over 20 years and coming back, you know, I realized like how lucky, you know, a lot of people are to be born in the U S or to live in the U S. Uh, oh yeah. Hit, hit the jackpot just by accident of birth. Right, right. Because, you know, from traveling, you start to realize, wow, it's really, really intense out there. And majority of the world is really, really poor. I mean, people have this weird sense in America that I'm going to be rich. I'm going to be a millionaire someday, or at least they envision or have this dream. If you look at numbers and percentages of like facts, you will not be rich. You know, that's just like a, a fantasy, you know, being like ridiculously rich. Like majority of the people in the world, that's just not a fact. And the fact is that most of the world, most people in the world are pretty poor. Yes. You know, India, China, Africa, you go to a lot of these different places where majority of the population of the world are, and people are living in destitute, Russia. You know, it's, it's, it's a hard life, yes. hard life, you know? Yeah. It's, we're you know, super lucky. I, I say this very often. We're very lucky to live when and where we do. No doubt about that. It's mind blowing, you know? So I, I, I give thanks to everything, you know, every day of waking up here and just smiling upon my life because being able to see, you know, the reality of what's really going on in the world gives me a better perspective of what really needs to be done to make other people understand what's happening out there as well. And I think a lot of people are curious to hear what we're saying, you know, what we have to say as far as, oh, you're only musicians, blah, blah, blah. But it's, it's much more than that. You know, it's like, you know, from traveling that you learn so much from communicating with people who are actually from those places, not a media or news media thing or something you're seeing online actual face-to-face conversations yeah there's a huge reason that i don't fear russia i I don't see russians as my enemy i've been there several times and russian people are super cool yeah they they have they have no problem with us no none whatsoever and that was that was the realization that i had too it was like so demonized and and seen as so evil and especially being born in the u.s but there are certain aspects of Russian culture where they are taught to hate Americans and that whole idea of capitalism as well, but not everybody was buying into it. You know, know, it's just like the same here. Not everybody buys into the bullshit that's put out there, but I agree with you on, I mean, Russia is a place that I 
had these weird fears and things about, but being there so many times and, and speaking with people and, and it's one of my favorite places to go. Yeah. It's super cool. People are way laid back. They, oh yeah. They, the, stereotype, very the stereotype is real. They do like to drink. Yes. Um, <laughs> but things are nice and cheap there. And, uh, you know, I guess it's no different than here in my own country. Like there's a big difference between the country's government and oh, yeah. the country's citizens. Like True. I love America. I love American people, but mm-hmm. I can't say that I love the American government. Right. And I think it's the same way with a lot of these other places. We're taught through media to distrust and not like the people right. because they have a shitty government, which True. is, which is uh super unfortunate because then you get all these prejudices and biases yep. against people that you've never met that never did anything to you that don't have it out for you at all. They, they don't yep. have any ill will toward you, but you're indoctrinated into disliking them before you ever even see one in person or, or speak to one in person. And, and it's super unfortunate that because two governments can't get along, then all of a sudden you have a race war by proxy, you know, from right. thousands of miles away, you have people uh, distrusting and disliking each other. Who, if you took governments out of it and media out of it, and you sat these people in a room together and and had them break bread and share a meal or whatever, oh man, it would be a would be whole different story. Oh yeah, right. If you took media and government out of it, yes, you it would you, you would realize that there's so many similarities that you have way with more, people. way yeah. more similarities. That's the probably the biggest takeaway that right. I've gotten from traveling all over the world is oh, yeah. that people are more similar than they are different. We're always yep. so hyper-focused on our differences that we don't take a second to take inventory of the things we have in common with each other. And we have way more in common with each other. It's very, very, very true. We all want the same basic things other than, you know, with the exception of psychopaths and sociopaths. Everyone <laughs> basically wants a roof over their head, clean water to drink, food to eat, friends and family, and to have a purpose or a job or, or a hobby or something. Right. I mean, I, I would think that most people could agree. I know that people have a, a strong hatred for government. I don't believe a lot of people have a full understanding of government, especially in the U.S., um, which is unfortunate. I think in certain countries, they have a better understanding where they have a better education. And so you don't have as many problems because you have a public that are able to to cast the vote and understand who they're voting for, and you have less uh, shady politicians and corruption than you have a public that's knowledgeable about the candidates and knowledgeable about how things are running. I think in the U.S. there's that big disconnect with people truly understanding of how government is run and in certain aspects of it, because you have certain people that believe they're completely anti-government they're like i want to cut government from everything you know and and it's like you have to realize that you know that people are not equipped to just do everything on your own you know there are certain people everybody needs help from everyone you know it's bound to happen it's bound to hit you like help is important and it necessarily doesn't have to be a negative thing i believe that government should have certain roles in helping with education 
and healthcare. You know, those are the two things that I think the money from taxpayers like us and people should be going towards. And those are the main things, education and healthcare. People should be able to have free healthcare for God's sakes. You know, it's like, I, I, I don't understand how it's such a, a backwards thing that happens in the U S where it's embarrassing. You know, you go to other places and you're just like, wow, you guys don't even have health. People don't even go to the doctor here because they're afraid and they don't have the money. <laughs> you know, it's just so stay away. So they end up being sicker. And it's just really hard to understand, like, being this first world country without healthcare. And within the whole, in a horrible education system, it's only going downwards. You know, it's only spiraling downwards. And I think, I definitely feel that is something that's super, super negative. And it actually helps in the manipulating people through media and through certain things, the social media. It's easier when you have a public that have no understanding that are, are kind of being dumbed down. Right. And the one thing that I would disagree with you on is having government in charge of um, education because we already mm. have government in charge of education. And this is why we have people that don't know what the hell is going on and are misinformed. Mm-hmm. The Department mm-hmm. of Education dictating to public schools what they're allowed to teach makes it to where the curriculum is only government-sanctioned materials. You're, they don't right. teach you about Nikola Tesla in school. They don't teach right. you how well, to I, garden for yourself in school. I, I, I definitely agree with you on that aspect because, I mean, that, with that being said, I think it needs to be completely revamped. I mean, the times that we're living now, you know, it has to catch up with that. It has to be modified. There has to be money in there to to actually revamp and to tear it down if it need be and rebuild a new education system that's really useful for the times that are happening now. Like you said, there has like, I mean, it's a big process, but I mean, we spent so much money on unnecessary military spending. Yes. It's a lot of that money could be diverted because we were absolutely tricked. You know, in the 80s, especially with the idea that Russia is right behind us with nuclear weapons and and they're ready, you know, we got to be on top of that. It was never that way. It was never, ever, ever that way. Russia was already spiraling downward because they had no money and they weren't and they weren't on close to matching up to the nuclear arms that we had in the U.S. It was just a false sense of security that the government actually put on the people. They were like, yeah. Build it up, build it up. Yes, I support that. I support that. And they felt like Russia's doing the same. Russia's way up there. They're building the same thing. No, they had been going downwards because of the decline of communism and they were like out of money. They did. They were never on match, close to the match of the U.S. ever in that whole arms race. It was all bullshit. And it's frustrating. I'm like, wow, we spent all that unnecessary money for building up something that we never use. Yeah, and, and we still are. You know, there's a very, very small group of people that makes exorbitant amounts of money, just insane yes. amounts yes, of money exactly. um, right. from war. They profiteer off of war, and for some reason, they're not held accountable and locked up in jail. But I right. think it's because a lot of these same people are in cahoots with the people that make the laws and enforce the right. laws. Yep. And it's very unfortunate. 
I often think of that Frank Zappa quote where he says that politics is the entertainment division of the military industrial complex. Oh, wow. It's like we have this public circus on TV to give people the illusion of choice while the military industrial complex keeps on profiteering off of war and death. It basically enslaves the entire country through debt. Absolutely. They're spending our money on a war machine that we didn't vote for. That we no, don't we sanction. Vote for we don't, honestly, we don't really need. I mean, we have enough. Agre- agreed. <laughs> I, I think you could, like, like uh, I think in the past couple of years, the military budget is like $770 billion a year. A year. $770 billion a year. A year. I think you could cut that number in half, protect our country just fine, yep. and spend that other rest of the money. I think having some sort of a basic health care plan for everyone who's a citizen in this country or whatever. Basic health care plan. That's all I would ever love to see. It, yeah. You know, just, like you know, you can go to choice. the doctor four times a year and maybe it'll cover a surgery every other year. But other than that, if you want better insurance, you can pay extra and get better insurance. Sure. But I think yeah. we could easily save some of the money we're blowing, wasting on wasting. the war machine and throw it into health care for us. We could easily afford it with the tax dollars that they extort from the American public. Right. And like I was saying before, if the American public are educated enough, then you don't have to vote for those people who are are totally supporting this type of spending or this ideology. You know, it's like that's where the whole point of like having people who are educated, a public that's educated, knowing about who they're voting for, because I, I don't care what anybody says it's like your vote a vote matters you know it does matter i mean it's very evident that it does matter uh if you look at our last election it was crazy you know with like voting like a lot of times people were always saying like uh my vote's not gonna matter no 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 it it does matter it matters who we are voting for because those people are actually putting into play these certain horrible ideas or policies and the fact if you you have a mass amount of people who are educated who can make these choices. You won't vote for that person again. That person will be out of office. You know, you don't have to vote for these people who are completely uh, on a whole different directory of like where they see America should be. I think education is super, super important. Yeah. And education beyond the public education system, I think is, is very yes. important too. I, I can, say for myself that I've learned more since I left school than I ever did in all of my years of being in proper schools. Me too. (laughs) Yeah, I've learned so much more since getting out of school. Um, When I was like 19, 20 years old, I realized, man, I'm way more stupid than I want to be. I need to start reading books. And I started looking up books of things I was actually interested in and, you know, uh, became well-versed in things that I find interesting and things that I think matter for, for myself. Right. That's a wonderful thing. I just, I just, I, I, I agree that, uh, you know, it, it definitely needs to be ripped apart because you're right. I mean, the books and a lot of stuff are outdated, obviously. And, uh, and it has to be a whole new curriculum of what's happening now. It has to be modernized and, and I think it's important to have, you know, you have that option, but I just think basic public school should, need a whole reforming and i think that you know there'll always be private schools where you can have your kids go to those as well absolutely yeah we need to get rid of some of the uh 
speaking of some of the old ideas, we need to get rid of some of the dinosaurs that are in uh, <laughs> Congress. Yes. I, I can't believe that there's no term limits for these people who commit treason for decades at a time and they just stay in office and people keep voting them in. Need to vote these if people, people keep out. Voting them in. Right. Yeah. They're so their their feet are so deep rooted in corruption. Um yeah. and I don't know how they stay in office. It, it's mind blowing to me. Do you think the the collaboration of these political people and private companies is too close. Absolutely. I mean, I used to think that this large scale corruption was hard to wrap my mind around and it clicked a handful of years ago that really we were talking about like the, the war machine. It's fairly easy to wrap my head around today. It's uh, the tank company comes up to politician X and they say, Hey, if you sign off on this war, we'll cut you in on some of the profits and we'll make you a millionaire tomorrow. You're like, all right, well, cool. Here's my John Hancock. See you later. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're bought and sold so easily. And they swear an oath when they take office to uphold the Constitution and protect this country from enemies, foreign and domestic. And they have become the enemies of progress and the enemies of the people. They deserve, yeah. I, th I think that the majority of people that serve in Congress deserve to be held on trial for treason against this country. Right. I'm not holding my breath for that to happen, but I, that's my <laughs> genuine feeling. I really think that they should get their feet put to the fire. Absolutely. For pretty much selling out the country to these big private companies yeah. that have come in and influenced the politics of, of Washington for such a long time. I think that they should be completely eliminated from anything having to do with politics. I mean, those private companies should be eliminated from having anything to do with politics. And anyone involved in that should be in jail for yeah, treason, you know, but taking money or taking whatever, like, uh, okay, you get elected, then I'll come back, you know, all of that. It's definitely treason because, and I, I just don't understand, you know, we, I think, They've corrupted, you know, these private companies are so much more money than the actual government itself, the U.S. government, and they're making money. You know, the government and the U.S. United States is in debt. It's insane how much power that these companies have. They're multinational and, and these corporations that are multinational, uh, exactly. yeah, the huge, huge, huge corporations. They're multinational and they're practically outside of the jurisdiction of governments. Because if yeah. they can't do something legally here in the U.S., they'll go do it somewhere else in another country where it's acceptable. Right. And with a lot of these companies, when they get fined for doing something that they're not supposed to do, that's just the cost of doing business for them. They'll just oh, pay yeah, the fine and keep doing it. They're prepared. They have that as set aside. Like, Absolutely. Okay, we'll probably have to. So, so the lesson is buy local. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Support the mom and yeah. pop shops and the local I, restaurants I, I, that are not cheap. That, that's what I always try to push is the local that's gonna strengthen the economy for who you are in your in your area. It's something that's more doable, believable that can happen and it, and it's actually smart. Um and so I I, I see that happening more and more. I think that's something that we approach on a highway to health, the show, showing local people doing things and how important it is to support locally.
Yeah, because if you don't support those little guys, let's say someone likes Restaurant X and Mm -hmm. they love it and it's all local and a family owns it there in the neighborhood. Well, even if you like it, if you don't go there very often, they might disappear, especially with what's going on right now. So for anyone listening, if, if there's some mom and pop small restaurant that you really like, Go support them and, and buy Absolutely. a meal from them because otherwise it they might disappear to, forever. Exactly. I mean, I know that traveling around the U.S. as a kid with my parents, I had relatives that lived all over the U.S. and we would do these huge road trips. And it was incredible because all the places we stopped were like mom and pop places. You know, the, those there were so many of it. All these big companies and everything didn't really exist so much at that time when i was traveling in the 70s and stuff and it's so vital to a community you know to to support these places and i just really want to shed light on that how important that is on the the program yeah that's beautiful and it's important for the small business but if you like the place it's important for yourself also just selfishly if you want it to stick around you gotta go and drop 10 bucks and buy lunch there sometime all right. I mean, it, it, it all comes around, you know, like that local spending money locally, the money comes back around, you know, it can, you can help support each other within that community. And that community is what's really missing a lot of times, you know, when you have these big corporate things, you know, that are just out there, they don't care about community. They don't care about the people that are around there. You know, it's, it's about only money. Absolutely. We could wrap this up here in a second, but, um, it's been really nice to catch up with you. I really loved touring with you guys back in 2012, and I'm glad yeah, that we can that catch up here. Amazing, man! I can't wait to get back on the on the road. I mean, what do you think is going to happen? What, what do you think next year will look like as far as touring and the music scene? Because it hasn't been talked a lot in the media at all. Yeah, um, man, I'm hearing so many different things. I don't know what to believe, and I'm not holding my breath for any of them to come true because if I've learned anything from this year, it's to expect the unexpected and don't make any plans. (laughs) 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 I'm hoping that with, uh, with Havoc that we can do some other recordings or something, maybe go track some more stuff before things open back up, but we'll see what happens. We have some festivals booked for next summer in Europe. Fingers crossed those will go through and we'll be touring out there. But like I said, I'm not holding my breath for any of it because this year has been a a very good lesson teacher. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And uh, yeah, we're pretty much in the same boat. There's some stuff for next year and we'll see how that goes. Yeah, anything can happen. <laughs> yeah, this year has proven that anything could happen. Well, before uh, we jump off of here, I did want to ask you two things. Okay. Uh, first, is there any food that you would break vegan for? <laughs> any food that I would break vegan for that I used to eat? God, I was, let's see, I was 15 years old. I haven't had like a, people always ask me like, do you have a craving for something that you, you missed? And I, I was 15 years old when I stopped eating meat. Way ahead of the curve, way before it was trendy to be vegan. Let it be known yeah. on the record, Derek Green yeah. is an OG <laughs> vegan. <laughs> OG like 
started off vegetarian, like no meat. Um, God, I, I can't think of anything because throughout the years, I've just really forgotten that whole aspect of, of, of eating meat and, and something being so delicious. I've had so many amazing meat-free, delicious meals through my whole life, but I can't honestly think of something that I would break it for like, ah, oh, and feel like, yes, I finally got it. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it would taste this good. It, it could entirely taste different, you know, because your, your taste buds change by what you're eating, you know, uh, for sure. And your intake. So I'm sure mine have gone on juice cleanses. I'm on one now. And I've tried to eat like French fries somewhere and I could eat maybe two. And, you know, it was just so much salt. You know, it was eating, eating out. Like I had to stop eating out a lot of places, even vegan places. I was like, uh, I, I can't. My mouth just things taste very, very strong. I was cooking a lot at home also on this lockdown that I realized that uh, you can change your taste buds in, in certain ways. And I, I can't think of anything that I would want to dig my I would probably, I probably would if, if break it if I was going to break it. it. Would have to be something. I don't know. I, I can't. I just can't imagine it. I would just be heartbroken in the end. <laughs> like, like, like a tiger's face or something. Oh my god! <laughs> Tiger face, or like a. I don't know. Like I wouldn't want to eat like the underbelly of a baby rhino or anything like that. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> something really out there. But uh, no, <laughs> I just love animals too much. Yeah, it, it's really no. interesting, too, how your body chemistry um, changes. Like you were talking about your taste buds right. changing your body. Once you start eating, I, I, I'm I'm fat now, but I was in really good shape when we toured together. You were um, super thin. Yeah, I was, I was super fit. And, and it's interesting. After you've forced yourself to eat well. For a couple of weeks, your body like reprograms. Oh and yeah, it craves the good stuff. Exactly. And then the the thing like you're describing, where you could only eat a couple French fries, and you're like, "Yeah, I'm over this." That really <laughs> does happen. It's hard to get it over does. that hump, but yeah. it really it really is a real thing. You know, you can rewire your body for what you it craves can. to put inside of it. The more nutritional food you have, the less hungry you'll be afterwards and craving for certain things. And um, it's just it's a science fact, you know, of like eating very, very healthy, very good, very nutritional things that have like vitamins and minerals and things that you need. Your body won't feel depleted from eating empty carbs, um, just like crap processed food. You eat like a home cooked meal. Like people are always like, "Oh my god, I had a home cooked meal. I feel fantastic. I feel full." You're not, you know. That's that's a fact. You know, home cooked, not processed. You know, especially not processed. You know, is the best thing that your body can really quickly jump into. Yeah, real stuff that came out of the ground. Yes, <laughs> the best thing for you, and that's what we're missing a lot of when people are eating out. Oh yeah, especially fast food and stuff. There, there's no crucial vitamins and minerals in the food. It's just a bunch of processed shit. 
it also has an impact on you mentally. A lot of times people don't think about that, but when you're eating well and, and you're getting those proper, you know, vitamins and everything, then you're thinking clearer. You're, you know, your thinking is, is less depressive. I believe from eating shit, you feel like shit after eating crappy food. You know, it's just, that's just a, a given, you know, you feel bad about it. Your body feels bad. Your mind follows, you know, if you're eating great, beautiful, healthy food, tasting so well you just your mind is lifted your body is lifted you know your attitude is lifted you know that's a huge impact yeah the mind body connection is a very real thing oh yeah oh yeah and what was the other question the other question i have for you is um often on this podcast i ask people to write in and share the best piece of wisdom that they've ever heard or the best piece of advice they've ever gotten like if there was a a time capsule that we could put Derek Green's advice to future generations of humans. What would you <laughs> want to tell people? Uh, give as much as you can. You know, I, I think that's an, it's important for people to really give. You know, uh, instead of always consuming and taking. You know, I, I think it's important for people to learn that at a very young age the importance of empathy and being able to to give to people, you know, positive things, whatever it may be, you know, throughout your day, you know, it's important that people understand and learn more about this because a lot of times people are consistently trapped in this kind of ego of this like me, 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 um, type of world that we live in and, uh, and just focused on our, our ourselves. But I think it's really important that people really appreciate and learn the aspect of giving because it, it always comes back around. It yeah. always does. You know? That's some beautiful advice. I really like it. Big ego equals a big fall. Yeah. <laughs> no doubt. Hell yeah, dude. Well, thanks a lot for taking a, such a big chunk of time out of your day. It's a pleasure, man. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll have to keep in touch more often. Um, I always really loved talking to you on the road. Yeah, man. Really good combos. <laughs> Can't wait to do it again, you know? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, my pleasure, dude. All right, you take care, my friend. You too, brother. Thank you very much for doing this, Derek. I really appreciate it, man. Very nice to catch up with you. For sure, man. Take care. There you have it, folks. Thanks a lot for listening. If you've gotten this far into the interview, you are a champion of the universe. Thanks for your support and for your ears and attention. Go check out the new Sepultura record called Quadra and keep an eye out for Derek and Tanya's Highway to Health show. On another note, the new La Special record is coming out on Friday, December 4th. I mixed the entire thing. Make sure you go and pre-save that on Spotify. Pick it up online. It's a super killer record and I think you're going to enjoy it. The Black Friday sale on riftsordie.com is being extended so if you're hearing this right now, get over to the web store and pick up some merch while you still have a chance to get a fat discount. As always, if you want to support the show further, go to patreon.com slash riffs or die. Thank you very much for tuning in. I will talk to y'all sometime next week. Take care, everybody. Take care, everybody.